today on Ag News Daily. He helped me get back and going, and I didn't have a planner, so I had to borrow that and I had to borrow a, a plow. And, and finally, I was able to give enough uh, equities where I could buy my own equipment and uh, lease my own land and everything. So uh, it's just it's just been a process. Good afternoon and happy Wednesday on the Ag News Daily Podcast. It's Ashton Carr joined by Delaney Howell. And Delaney, I hope you're wearing green today. I am, Ashton. Well, I'm wearing camo, which has green in it. So I think that counts, right? I'm pretty sure it does. I am not wearing green today. I walked into my roommate's room today to talk about getting coffee and she was putting on green and she was like, you know, um, you're going to have to watch out. Today is St. Patrick's Day. So she had to remind me, but I still didn't put any green on. So I'm People kind are of going to pinch vulnerable. you. <laughs> I know. Wait, maybe that's not COVID friendly. So probably not this year. <laughs> but um, Ashton, can you give us your best Irish accent? Oh, my goodness. I'm horrible at accents. It's <laughs> when they're British. So um, mm. I don't know. I have to like really think America. about it for a second. And honestly, so I studied abroad, right? And some of the kids I studied abroad with were Irish. And so the first thing that comes to mind when I think of an Irish accent is the way that they would say certain profanity swear words that I can't say on the podcast. So I think I'm out as well today for my accent. It's really funny to me because, you know, I'm from Texas. And so obviously like the big foreign language that you have to study in high school is Spanish. And I could never roll my R's for Spanish. But when I try and speak like Scottish or Irish, and those kind of accents, I can roll my R's. So it's like, so weird. It is accents are a fun thing to do, though. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. Me and my friends talking them quite often. It's a little bit weird. I guess it's kind of like a Gen Z kind of thing like that I see on TikTok all the time. But um, but yeah. (laughs) Well, that is certainly fun. So we hope everybody's enjoying their St. Paddy's Day today, maybe getting some green beer, having some fish and chips or some other Irish food, some shepherd's pie. Uh, But Ashton, let's talk some news for today. I'll kick things off here. I was looking through the news wires last night and this just hit me. I haven't really seen this advertised or not advertised. That's a bad way to say it. I haven't really seen this publicized too many places yet, but... This week, the Biden administration is going to hold their first high-level meeting with Chinese officials in Anchorage, Alaska tomorrow. And technology and human rights issues on China's side appear to be at the height of discussion for the U.S. And trade may be taking a back seat. But we're seeing a little he said, she said action because China said that Issues like agricultural trade are very important to them. However, the U.S. administration is saying they want to focus more on these human rights issues and technology uh, disruptions, technology theft issues that, of course, the Trump administration has talked about as well. And so the U.S. is saying they want to talk about commercial and trade issues secondary to these two other key issues in their mind. So we'll see exactly what comes out of that meeting. It might be a non-meeting at this point, but... I also found it a little interesting that they're meeting in Anchorage, Alaska. I'm really curious why they picked that location, but I was reading some, I actually found it on an Anchorage, Alaskan uh, newspaper, online newspaper. They were talking about that they wanted to, of course, have Alaskan agriculture and trade be one of the top subjects. Don't think that's going to happen, unfortunately, for Alaska. Well, Delaney, kicking things back over here to the mainland, we are seeing the First, bovine tuberculosis positive cattle herd in Cheboygan County in Michigan. 
since testing began in the late 90s, the beef herd in northern lower Michigan County tested positive as, as part of routine testing in Michigan's accredited free zone. The buffer zone surrounding Michigan's modified accredited zone where 18 deer and three cattle herds were confirmed positive last year. The herd is set to be quarantined while additional testing is done to help determine the strain of infection as well as trace investigations to identify any potential additional cases. Officials say that the last positive TB case in Sheboygan was confirmed in two free-ranging white-tailed deer in 2010. And this is the 81st confirmed herd in Michigan and first reported case of the year. So folks, definitely keep an eye out, especially if you're, you know, close to that county in Michigan. Absolutely. Folks, keep an eye on that. Ashton, one thing I actually just literally um, pulled up here on the newswire that just caught my eye here was another private export flash sale coming to us from China. USDA just reported another export sale here of 1.224 million metric tons of delivery for this marketing year to China. So, haven't seen the markets really react to that yet. And here we are, you know, we're recording this right as markets are closing today. But yesterday, we also didn't really see markets reacting to the export sale we saw yesterday. So I'm a little curious to see how markets shake out from here and why they're not reacting to these large sales, Ash. And I mean, these should be theoretically moving the markets and they're certainly not. Well, Delaney, something that we are kind of anxious to wait around and watch is whether or not the U.S. is going to see any cases of African swine fever. So to prepare for the unknown, the USDA's Animal and Plant Health Inspection Service and the Canadian Food Inspection Agency have developed a protocol to help ensure bilateral trade will continue if African swine fever is detected in feral swine in either country while still absent from domestic swine. So this is only on a you know case-by-case -case basis in feral swine, not domestic herds. But the intent of the protocol is to protect swine populations in both countries during an outbreak of ASF and feral swine while minimizing impacts on the trade of live swine, swine products, and other swine commodities. Upon an African swine fever feral swine detection, all trade between both countries would initially stop. Then according to the protocol, trade would resume in three progressive phases with increasingly reduced restrictions on live swine, swine germplasm, and untreated swine commodities. How quickly the U.S. and Canada establish initial control areas, initiate surveillance and case findings and removal in feral swine, and start surveillance in captive swine will determine when they enter phase two of the protocol. And during the th third and final phase, trade restrictions are reduced to the boundaries of the established control areas. The Both agencies are continuing to work with industry and other stakeholders to ensure that both countries have the processes and procedures in place to fully implement implement the protocol. So hopefully we won't see any African swine fever in feral or domestic hogs in, you know, Canada and the U.S., but just in case that protocol is being set in place. So I, I guess this is, you know, some good news that we do have a plan in place, but definitely going to be some bad news if, you know, we ever have to use this protocol. 
Yeah. And to be honest, Dash, and it's taken a long time for us to get to this point where they've developed a protocol for both countries. Yeah, I think it's interesting how they're playing off, you know, that bilateral trade aspect and, you know, kind of, um, I guess, being there for one another, I guess, is what I'm going to, you know, go with. But I definitely think it's interesting that they're, you know, continuing to make sure that both, you know, we have that trade with Canada and that Canada still has that trade with us if this were, you know, to ever become a thing. Well, it seems we're going to have some rain in your neck of the woods, Ashton. We're expected to see some showers here for about the next or within the next 12 hours. Get another round of significant rain. And that should continue here into the next week, hopefully bringing some relief to some cotton producing areas in West Texas. According to Donald Keeney, who is a senior meteorologist for Maxar Technologies, um, We've talked about this on the podcast, Ash, and we probably need to have Eric Snodgrass or Ed Valley or another weather weather guy on, weather gal on, to talk about the drought conditions that we're continuing to see. But a lot of the western United States, including Texas, is getting or has been up until this point hit pretty hard with some drought. Uh, the biggest U.S. growing region got about six. 60% of their normal rainfall here over the past two months. So rainfall is definitely needed in your part of the country, it sounds like. It certainly is. And that kind of, you know, rings true, especially today, because it's a very, very dry, windy day here in Lubbock today. Looking outside of my window, it's, you know, just red dirt everywhere. So we're really feeling, you know, the drought right now. But I do know up in Canyon Amarillo area, which is about an hour and a half north of Lubbock, they experienced some snow today. Ooh. So I feel like we're just kind of all across the board right now because it's been, you know, sunny and 75, 80 degrees in Lubbock for the past few days. And then up there, they're getting some snow. And I believe I saw Brent Carlson, who is another podcaster on the network who lives in Hereford, which is up around that area around Amarillo. Um, I think they're in a blizzard warning. I think I saw oh, wow. talking about on Twitter today. So um, pretty crazy stuff going on down here. So I definitely think we need to talk some more weather here in the future. Yeah, it's that weird time of year where you could have snow, you could have rain, you could have 60, 70, 80 degree weather. You never really know. I hate this time of year. I just want it to be one temperature, Ashton. I also hate this time of year and you know that I get super bad allergies. So if I, you know, my voice starts fluctuating within the coming weeks, guys, you're just going to have to tough it out with me. <laughs> it's not because you're smoking, right? It's because you're the allergies. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I don't have much more news. What about you? <laughs> well, I just have, you know, one thing that I kind of wanted to hit on today because we're talking about carbon credits and a lot of people have kind of raised the question on what happens to these people who have been no-tilling or doing these kinds of practices for so long. Like, are they going to get carbon credits or are they going to get any kind of compensation or appreciation, I guess, for, you know, the work that they've been doing? And a, a Northeast Illinois farmer says that he believes that carbon markets are a good thing and are headed in the right direction, but hopes that they recognize that farmers who implemented regenerative practices years ago also need kind of some, some recognition. 
Corey Johnson told Brownfield Ag News that their Will County farm has been 100% no-till since the late 80s, and this is their seventh year planting cover crops on the majority of their acres, and they've never done it for a carbon market payment. Johnson says that farmers who already have those practices in place should have the same opportunities in the carbon market as those who are just starting out. Based on the educational webinars he's attended, Johnson says that it seems like companies with carbon market programs don't want to work with farmers like him, but just haven't determined a solution to the additionality aspect. So just, you know, some some producer words on how, you know, producers like Johnson are feeling that have been no-tilling for a while. They don't, you know, exactly want that recognition, but they want to still be included in those programs that they've been using, you know, for, for however many years. This is their seventh year planning, you know, for him specifically planting cover crops. They've been no-till since the late 80s. So, you know, it seems like he has this kind of system down pat. And so I, I kind of agree that there needs to be some additionality, you know, for those farmers who have already incorporated these practices. Although, you know, introducing these programs to new producers as well is also, you know, a, a great thing. So it's kind of a, a double, double-edged sword. It certainly sounds that way, Ashton. But like I mentioned, I don't really have any other news today other than talking markets. When you want to talk about a double-edged sword, Ashton, the, the uh, Flash sales to China have definitely been a double-edged sword because we're continuing to see demand from China, which is fantastic, especially for this time of year. But the caveat is it really still hasn't moved markets yet. But it could. We're going to talk about that on Monday for our special four-year anniversary episode. I don't want to give too much away, but I think it's going to be a great one. Ashton, what do you say we talk markets here, though, today? Let's do it. All right. Well, as I mentioned, corn, not, not so excited on today's export sales news or yesterday's. We saw the May contract close up three and a quarter cent to close at 557 and a half. The July up a quarter of a cent to close at 552. In the soybean pits lower today as the May contract shed five and a quarter cent to close at 1418. The July down seven and three quarter cents to close at 1406. Chicago wheat also lower today as the May contract shed six cents to close at 641. The July down five and a half to close at 631 and a half. Hopping over to take a look at livestock today, Ashton. Green across the screen as the April live cattle contract added $1.22 and a half to close at 119.42 and a half. The June up 57 and a half cents to close at 122.02 and a half. And in feeder that's Feeder cattle that strength continued today as the April contract added a dollar thirty-two and a half to close at one forty-four sixty-five. The May up forty-five cents to close at one fifteen seventeen and a half. Now, lean hogs. This is really where the excitement has happened here over the past two days. I should have mentioned this yesterday when we recorded Ashton and I failed to do so, I think, but we saw finally the June contract break above the psychological barrier of a hundred dollars, and we remained to hold through that level here into today. I want to say, don't hold me to this, but I'm I was reading some commentary yesterday. I think this is the first time since 2014 that we've seen lean hogs get to this level. Maybe it was on the cash side. I'd have to go double check my sources. But I think the possibility here to see cash, I think we're sitting right now about $86 cash markets. But I think the possibility to get lean hogs to $100 cash is also somewhat doable. So we'll talk about that next Monday as well. But in the meantime, April lean hogs up 77.5 cents today to close at 93.67.5. 
The May up 95 to close at 96.07 and a half. And the June up another $1.35 today to close at 102, $102.32. And lastly, wrapping things out here with our class three dairy milk futures. April unchanged today to close at 17.42. The May down 10 cents to close at 17.95. Ashton, I'm really excited today. We're talking about a lot of different commodities and a lot of different topics we don't usually talk about here on the podcast with Taryn Moore, a farmer down in eastern Texas. Well, today on the podcast, very excited to be joined by Taryn Moore, who is, wears a lot of hats, it sounds like, uh, located down in Texas. Insurance advisor, farmer, does quite a bit on the side with various organizations, it sounds like as well, Taryn, but thank you so much for joining us today. We're really excited to have you on. Yes, ma'am, Delaney. I'm glad to be here today. So Taryn, the reason that we even stumbled upon your Twitter profile and got connected with you was there was an article a few weeks ago on Farm Journal on agweb.com talking about how you got your start in farming and the unique position that you're in. Will you tell us a little bit about your story, your origin story of how you got into farming and agriculture? Sure. Yeah. So I uh, I joined an ag class or signed up for one kind of on accident uh, my freshman year of high school and uh, showed up to the class and I knew that I, I felt that I was the oddball. So I sat in the back and tried to be as quiet as possible. And for some reason, uh, my ag advisor, she saw something in me and she volunteered. I guess I could say voluntold uh, that I was going to sign up for farm skills. They need, they need one more person. Everyone else is already involved in an LDE. And so uh, I tried out the farm skills. I was very uncomfortable starting out. And uh, I made some awesome connections um, through the FFA. So uh, with me not having a huge ag background, I thought that I had to be a farmer to be involved in this organization, which, of course, uh, for those who are involved in FFA, I understand that's not the case today. There's so many opportunities within uh, uh, leadership development and career development and, and supervisory cultural e- events or experiences. Uh, but I thought uh, I had to be, a, be an actual farmer. So I started a, a small garden in my backyard, probably about a 10 by 10 garden, uh, growing some watermelon, peppers, okra. And uh, I'll never forget, I brought a watermelon to our um, to our chapter meeting. I was a freshman in high school, and to see my uh, my classmates, and my friends eat something that I was producing, uh, it just it gave me pride. I had I had pride of, of starting something from a seed uh, to to taking care of it during its production process, and then harvesting it and watching my uh, friends eat that. So then I expanded onto acreage. And started doing, uh, I started purple hole peas, cream peas, and okra. And started with about an acre and a half to two acres. And uh, this year, I'm going to be farming about anywhere between 12 to 15 acres uh, of vegetables. So we're continuing to grow, continuing to get more lease land. And uh, I'm just glad to be taking care of God's soil. That's a really awesome story, Taryn. And I want to ask a follow-up to that. So you get to high school, you plant a garden, you feel finally a connection to the land like a lot of farmers do. Walk us through what happens from that point in your life to now having your own 15 to 20 acres that you're farming. Yeah, so starting out, I'm just very grateful for people who, uh, who've invested in me. Um, starting out, I didn't have quite the funds to, uh, to buy all my own equipment. And so I borrowed lots of stuff, a, 
I borrowed my dad's tractor and I also, uh, a deacon from the church, let me use his planter. My dad used to farm several years ago, uh, kind of as a hobby, uh, a couple of acres. And so he had some equipment that was kind of sitting around, sitting around. So he did some maintenance on that. Um, he helped me get back and going and I didn't have a planter. So I had to borrow that and had to borrow a, a plow. And, and finally I was able to get enough, uh, equities where I could buy my own equipment and, uh, and lease my own land and everything. So, uh, it's just, it's just been a process, but I couldn't, I couldn't have gotten here without, uh, great support, people who've invested in me and people who've been great mentors for me, um, along the way. So Taryn, a big topic under the new administration that we're under is diversity and how we're going to be more inclusive in the agriculture industry. And you're a young black man. And so I kind of want to know your thoughts on that. And maybe if you have any ideas on how diversity is going to be you know, used in the agriculture industry. Sure. Yeah. The thing I love about um, America is that we have options and we have choices. Um, so when I joined FFA, I noticed uh, in my class, at least, I was the only black guy in my class, uh, in the classroom. So it's like you go from being in athletics. I also ran track. In running track, I was around black folks, uh, Hispanic folks, white folks. And then, I mean, I was also in the band. I played percussion in the band and I was around black folks, white folks, Hispanic folks. And then I go into the ag classroom and it's all white. And so I knew something was different, but I just wasn't sure um, why that was. But now I have a better understanding of why that it is that way, because I think a long time ago, uh, people didn't have the same options uh, or the same opportunities that we have today. And agriculture is a hard industry. Uh, there's so many, there's so many, uh, there's so much volatility. There's so much, it's a high input cost. Uh, it can be, it can be high stress if you're doing it for a living. Um, there's just so many factors that go into production agriculture. And so people have gone away from the farm. So I just think that um, now you can go to work and you can work 40 hours a week and, and make a, and make a decent living. And it's like, while people still, some folks have the option now to not farms. So I think just the number of farmers altogether, um, of course, have decreased, causing uh, us to have to produce to produce more on less acreage. And so uh, long, long story short, to, su to summarize my opinion on that is I just feel like it's a choice. I think that most uh, most or majority of, of black people don't want to um, just don't want to do the farming. I mean. Like I said, it's, it's a tough it's a tough thing to do, and for some, it brings back um, it may bring back some memories or some uh, discomforts, which of course was way before our time. But some folks like to hold on to previous experiences and previous uh, histories, and they may feel like um, I don't know in, inferior if they're a, if they're a minority farmer. So I think it all comes down to choice. I think that any um, any black person or, or white or Hispanic or, or Chinese, if they wanted to be involved in production agriculture, uh, it is very attainable. I started with no experience. Um, I had, I mean, I could, I didn't even know how to drive a tractor before I started. So I, I couldn't even tell you what a Massey Ferguson tractor was at the time. So um, there's, there's folks who have uh, the, the advantages and opportunities, but at the end of the day, if it's something that you want to do, I think you have the choice to to do that. Absolutely. And you're obviously proof 
that anyone can get into agriculture. You don't have to be from a farm. You can start with nothing and work your way up. But Taryn, I want to talk a little bit more about your farm and what you do day to day, because you don't just farm. Your Twitter bio says insurance advisor, weekend farmer, and you're a Kiwanis president. Tell us a little bit more about your role with, I assume it's Texas Farm Bureau or insurance down there. I've seen some tweets that you have tweeted Texas Farm Bureau insurance. Correct me if I'm wrong, but um, walk us through a little bit about your day job and then how you manage that with the farm. Because it sounds like specialty produce, like you're doing maybe a little bit more labor intensive than what we're used to with some of our more traditional crops. Of course, of course. Yes, uh, vegetables are very labor intensive. It's all hand harvested. And so uh, there's pros and cons. You know, you got a strong back, but also (laughs) your back gets worn out quicker. So, um, but my day to day, pretty much, uh, of course, Monday through Friday, I'm extremely focused on um, insurance advising. So, of course, I do. I represent um, Texas Farm Bureau Insurance, providing auto, home and life insurance across the state of Texas. So uh, throughout the week, I'm focused on that. I'm taking care of clients. I'm doing uh, every week I have insurance reviews where I sit down with my current clients or new clients and review their insurance to make sure that their um, liabilities are protected and also their life insurance protected as well. So that's what I do throughout the week, uh, running quotes and um, just seeing people sitting down at the kitchen table with them and explaining to them uh, my, my purpose, my passion and why I'm here and why I'm doing what I do and uh, transferring that belief of what I believe in for insurance to my clients. And some folks, um, some folks have the same beliefs as protecting their families. And some folks, uh, it may not be as important to others um, as some. So that's just my job. My job is to transfer belief and to, uh, and to take care, take care of my clients, those who want, those who want to be taken care of. And so uh, once Friday hits, usually uh, Friday evening, I start preparing um, to go to the farm on the weekend. So I'll get my um, if I need any special tools to bring to the farm because I don't live on the farm. I live uh, in a subdivision here in Caddo Mills and my farm uh, locations are in Greenville and Brashear, Texas, near Sulphur Springs. So I get my tools lined out uh, for the weekend, uh, kind of have a strategy and, and a plan of what I want to accomplish within a small uh, period of time because the weekend, <laughs> the weekends go by so fast. You try to have a social life, you try to see friends and you try to uh, you take care of customers and you might have a few insurance calls, people get in accidents. And uh, I'm also a church musician. So uh, at least once a month, I'm playing piano um, at the church uh, in East Texas. And so I'm practicing my music before, uh, before Sunday morning worship. And I'm trying to see friends and just, uh, you know, try to live a normal 24-year-old life as well. Um, so it's just all done within a pretty tight, pretty tight time uh, time span. But just getting everything ready. And then on the weekends, I'm out on the field, uh, either cultivating ground or, or spraying or planting or uh, getting my, my workers ready to uh, to harvest. My, my uh, favorite part of farming, honestly, is, is of course, the the harvest experience because the harvest is for me, the hardest part because it's labor intensive. Uh, we're, we're bending over most of the day, uh, close to the ground, picking peas and loading them up and getting them shipped out. And, but I love calling my, calling my customers and, uh, they're always so happy whenever I call, Hey, it's Taryn Moore, uh, with more farms and insurance. Want to give you guys a, give you guys a call, let you know your order's ready 
for your purple hole pee. And they're like, oh my goodness, we're so happy. We'll be on our way soon. <laughs> they're just uh, ecstatic that they're, uh, they're getting their fresh produce straight from the farm. So I just love talking to my, my, my customers and also um, pouring into these, uh, these youth involved in agriculture as well. I partnered with a guy uh, this year. Uh, he's a good friend of mine. He's the ag teacher out in Sulphur Springs. And uh, he's been a blessing in my life because I've struggled for so many years with finding um, good labor and uh, solid labor to people who show up every day and do the work. And partnering with him, gosh, he has a classroom full of uh, ag kids who, who want to make money during the summertime. So uh, God places in each other's paths for a bigger reason than we know. We've partnered up together this year. That's why Farm Brashear as well. And um, I love talking to those kids and explaining to them uh, the importance of having, having good, healthy daily habits, the importance of um, working hard and seeing the fruits of your labor. And just uh, hopefully, hopefully being a good mentor to them and being a good uh, Christian role model uh, for these young kids who, who are fixing to go into the real world. They're in high school now. They're getting ready for college, getting ready to go into the workforce and to into trades. And I want them to understand that um, life is not easy. Life is actually uh, pretty tough. And so I want to equip their minds and callous their minds for the reality um, of the real world. And the reality of having to work harder if you want to be successful and the re reality of having uh, good, healthy daily habits in order to uh, in order to reach your potential. Well, Taryn, I, I think there's no doubt that you are extremely passionate about the work that you're doing. And I'm very excited that we have, you know, people like you involved in the ag industry and that you are opening these students minds and being a great role model for them. As an ag kid myself, I certainly appreciated those kinds of folks um, when I was in the classroom. But Taryn, if the, our listeners want to follow along with your story, find out anything else about you, or if you know some folks down here in Texas want to reach out to you concerning Farm Bureau Insurance, where can they get a hold of you? So my the two best ways to get a hold of me, um, I've got a Facebook page. It's called More Farms and Insurance. More Farms and insurance. And I've also got Twitter. My Twitter name is at more Taryn. And if anyone has any um, personal questions over uh, personal insurance or uh, their personal operation, if you're trying, if you're a, a young person getting started in production agriculture or um, seeking uh, advice with insurance or anything, uh, also my email address, uh, personal email is uh, my work me email actually is t more the number one at tx like texas fb like farm bureau dash ins dot com so t more one at txfb dash ins dot com if you have any personal questions over uh, your your personal insurance policies or if you're trying to get started in production agriculture, please reach out to me and I'll be happy to talk to you one-on-one. But for this larger audience, you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter and I'd love to connect with you guys.
Thanks again there to Taryn for coming on the podcast and talking to us. I definitely think it was a super interesting conversation. I love to hear more about, you know, how people got involved in the agriculture industry and, you know, hearing from someone that's super close to my hometown. We, you know, grew up, you know, not too far from each other, but never really got into contact until now. So it's kind of funny how the ag industry works, don't you say? I do. It certainly is a small niche area, niche uh, industry to work in, that's for sure. It certainly is, Delaney, and we're covering all kinds of topics, whether it's niche or not, on the Ag News Daily podcast, and you can listen to those episodes at agnewsdaily.com. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.